0: Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: Babylon just eventually faded out from history, but there could be a rebuilding of Babylon in the future, and the book of Revelation talking about Babylon could very well be the literal Babylon that is rebuilt. The literal Babylon could become the center of the empire of the Antichrist.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study through the books of the Old Testament prophets. Join us as Pastor Brian resumes his teaching on Jeremiah chapters 46 through 52. Now here's
1: Pastor Brian. Where there's prosperity, where there's ease, where there's idleness of hands, uh, people societies tend to sink deeper and deeper into sinful behavior. And like I said, I think that that's a pretty accurate description of our nation currently. It's a very accurate description of many of the, of the nations of the West. The Western nations have been the prosperous nations And have drifted into this kind of idleness and things. Now, this doesn't mean, obviously, that that's the case with every single individual. And it's not necessarily the case with all the people groups within the nation. I mean, some, you know, there are poor people. There are people who have sets of challenges and difficulties for a variety of reasons. And it might not be the case there. But just kind of collectively speaking, this is what you see when people are at ease. And this was the, the situation with um, King Asa. We studied through the Chronicles and the Kings, and maybe you remember King Asa. He, in the early days of his reign, he has this massive army come against him, and he just cast himself on the Lord to protect him. And God does. And at that stage, Asa is young. He's not really experienced. Uh, The kingdom hasn't prospered under his reign or anything like that. So he's at a, a place of weakness, and he knows where to go. He goes to the Lord. But then they experience this great victory, and then they have this long season of prosperity, 25 years of prosperity. And at the end of 25 years of prosperity another military force comes against them. And this time, they don't even think to turn to the Lord. Instead, they trust in their military might. They trust in their their strength. They trust in the, the fact that they've figured out how to be a strong and powerful nation. And in their failure to trust the Lord, they not only end up defeated, but the king who had been the one to trust the Lord early on and doesn't, he's rebuked by the Lord, King Asa. And the prophet comes to him, and I think it's uh, 2 Chronicles uh, 16.9, I think is the verse there. The prophet comes to him, and he, he pretty much says, when you were small in your own eyes, you trusted God, and now you've become overconfident, and so that's what's, what's brought your downfall. And then the prophet says this. He says, for the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. And you, Asa, have acted foolishly in not trusting God. And so, again, just the point that the prosperity is oftentimes the thing that leads to the demise of nations, and that was the case with Moab. They were going to be judged, and they were going to be judged because of the depth of the the sin they had sunken into, but it was rooted in their ease, in their comfort, and in their prosperity. So even in our own lives personally, you know, God allows us to get tipped over, so to speak. He sends the wine workers at times to to unsettle us. Because in those times of unsettling, we actually learn to cling to him in ways that we normally would not know. I, I think all of us, if we were just asked, would probably take the option, you know, if, if the option was given to us, would you like prosperity or would you like adversity? Now, I mean, quite honestly, I'm going to opt for prosperity. I'm not going to sign up for adversity necessarily. But I have found that whether you sign up or not, if you're God's child, he will send the wine workers at times. He will send those, uh, those tippers and, you know, he'll, he'll allow us to go into times of difficulty. He'll, he'll allow us to go into times of suffering. He'll allow us to go into trials. This is, this is part of the Christian life. It's not an unusual thing, although sometimes we think it is. Uh, but remember, Peter tells us not to think it a strange thing concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some bizarre thing has happened to you. That's how we often think of it, like what what is going on? How could this happen? Why is God letting this happen? And yet, God is testing our faith, testing it in the sense of he's refining it, he's purifying it, just as gold is refined in the fire, so the Lord allows our faith to be refined, so it might be found to praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus. Peter tells us that. So Moab, they're going to be tipped over. From Moab, we come to Ammon and then to Edom. And at the end of chapter 49, we are reminded Verse 39, but it shall come to pass in the latter days I will bring back the captives of Elam, says the Lord. So I just wanted you to see that reference to the latter days. Elam is Persia, which is modern day Iran. So Elam was actually on on the border between Babylon, Assyria, and Persia and it was uh, out of Elam that the Persian empire arose. And so with the the reference here to the latter days, again, think about all of those nations. If you just look at a map and you see all of the nations surrounding Israel, pretty much all of them, with few exceptions, are included in the passage here. And the interesting addition to that, of course, is that those nations are all Islamic nations. And we know a little bit about Islam and about the intentions of Islam, the intention of worldwide dominion and, of course, taking back Israel, which they believe belongs to them. So you have Iran and you have this commitment on the part of Iran to obliterate the Jewish nation. So God, though, here is, as we saw already, he will make an end of these nations, but he will not make an end of Israel. So now we come to chapter 50. And chapters 50 and 51 are the judgment against Babylon. And These are long chapters here. And so, like I said, we're not going to go into the details so much of the judgment, but there are definitely a few things that I want us to see. So, first of all, the word that the Lord spoke against Babylon and against the land of the Chaldeans by Jeremiah the prophet. Verse 2, declare among the nations, proclaim and set up a standard. Proclaim it, do not conceal it. Say Babylon is taken, Bel, who was their chief god, is shamed, Merodach, another god, is broken in pieces, her idols are humiliated, her images are broken in pieces, for out of the north a nation comes up against her, which shall make her land desolate, and no one shall dwell therein, they shall move, they shall depart, both man and beast." So here's a a prophecy of the judgment that is going to come. But again, with this Babylonian judgment, we have a near judgment that would come, referring to the fact that the Medes and the Persians would come. But then we have the distant judgment that's referred to as well. And and this is taking in both of those things. Look at verse 4. We know it's referring to more of the final judgment on Babylon because it says this. It says, in those days and in that time, says the Lord, the children of Israel shall come. They and the children of Judah together with continual weeping, they shall come and seek the Lord their God. They shall ask the way to Zion with their faces toward it saying, come and let us join ourselves to the Lord in a perpetual covenant that will not be forgotten. So again, you can see this is once again a future event. Even in their return from Babylon, there's no place where you see this kind of a thorough return to the Lord taking place. Remember that many of the people stayed in Babylon. It was a small, a relatively small number of people that came back to the land. Most of them just decided, I know Babylon's not a bad place to live. So they just made their homes there and remained there. So this is talking about a future time when the nation collectively comes back and is joined in a perpetual covenant to the Lord. Verse eight says, move from the midst of Babylon, go out of the land of the Chaldeans. For behold, I will raise and cause to come up against Babylon an assembly of great nations from the north country. Now notice an assembly of great nations, plural. Now, it was the Medes and the Persians combined together who conquered Babylon uh, during the time of King Belshazzar, and there might have been some other nations that had joined in, but I think here again we're talking about something in the future, because the reference is to an assembly of great nations. Now, verse 13 says, because of the wrath of the Lord, she shall not be inhabited but she shall be wholly desolate. Everyone who goes by Babylon shall be horrified and hiss at all her plagues. Verse 23, how the hammer of the whole earth has been cut apart and broken. How Babylon has become a desolation among the nations. Look over in verse 40. As God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah and their neighbors, says the Lord, so no one shall reside there nor son of man dwell in it. Verse 46, at the noise of the taking of Babylon, the earth trembles. The cry is heard among the nations. Verse 11, make arrows bright, gather the shields. Chapter 51, the Lord has raised up the spirit of the kings of the Medes, for his plan is against Babylon to destroy it because it is the vengeance of the Lord, the vengeance of the Lord of his temple. And then just a couple of more references here. I just I want you to see this. So verse 37 of chapter 51, Babylon shall become a heap, a dwelling place for jackals. Verse 47, therefore behold the days are coming that I will bring judgment On the carved images of Babylon, her whole land shall be ashamed and all her slain shall fall in the midst. Then the heavens and the earth and all that is in them shall sing joyously over Babylon. Verse 49, As Babylon has caused the slain of Israel to fall, so at Babylon the slain of all of the earth shall fall. And so here's the point that I want us to see. The judgment that's described here Is obviously on the one hand the near judgment because it refers to God stirring up the the kings of the Medes, and, and they were the ones who came Darius the Mede, Cyrus the Persian, they were the ones who conquered Babylon. But the description that's given of the destruction of Babylon has never happened in history. So the reference to, like, Sodom and Gomorrah, for example, we know how Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, right? it was destroyed supernaturally, God raining down fire and brimstone from heaven. Sodom and Gomorrah was obliterated. And many of these passages speak of an obliteration of Babylon, which never historically occurred. Babylon, as a matter of fact, remained a viable city into the New Testament period. So Peter writes one of his letters apparently from Babylon. There was a, like I said, that many of the Jews never came back from Babylon. So there was a, a vast Jewish community in Babylon in the New Testament times that the apostles went and evidently evangelized. Among the Jewish people, you have Jewish literature that's Connected to the Bible, but it's, it's not biblical literature in the sense that it's prophetic. It's, you know, inspired by God. It's super biblical in a sense. It's, it's beyond biblical. And the most well-known of that Jewish literature is the Talmud. There are two, two versions of the Talmud. There's the Jerusalem Talmud, and there's the Babylonian Talmud. So they signify where the the emphasis, you know, what location the emphasis came from, what leaders, what rabbis. So the Babylonian Talmud is actually the more common and more popular Talmud. Now the Talmud wasn't even assembled until after the time of Jesus. So all that to say, Babylon was never destroyed. Babylon just eventually faded out from history, and today is a heap of old stones. There's nothing left of it today. But the way Jeremiah describes the destruction of it makes me, and not me only, others as well, think that there could be a rebuilding of Babylon in the future. And the, the book of Revelation talking about Babylon could very well be the literal Babylon that is rebuilt. The literal Babylon could become the center of the empire of the Antichrist. Now, many people assume that Rome was the the replacement for that. Even in Peter's epistle where he makes a reference to Babylon, uh, some early Christian writers said that that was a code word for Rome. Maybe so, but maybe not. Paul didn't seem to speak in code about Rome. He spoke very clearly about Rome. So I don't think there's any really airtight case that says that that Rome replaced Babylon. We know that there's a connection between these empires from, from what we see in the book of Daniel. But when the book of Revelation speaks of Babylon, it, you know, the New King James Version reads, it speaks of mystery Babylon. And therefore, it's been easy to think that well, it's not literal Babylon, it's, it's, it's mystery Babylon. But the wording mystery Babylon is probably not the best way to, to um, translate the phrase from the Greek. The better way is just to describe, uh, just to say it that the things that he's talking about is a mystery, and then Babylon the Great begins kind of a new focus. So it's not necessarily mystery Babylon, it's just Babylon the Great. So again, we don't know, but it might be the case. And maybe you remember uh, Saddam Hussein was, not only was Saddam Hussein attempting, planning to rebuild Babylon because he thought himself uh, kind of a second uh, Nebuchadnezzar, so he was planning to rebuild Babylon, and then, of course, his life was cut short, so he didn't get to finish his, his plans there. But even the United Nations, before everything sort of erupted uh, after the Gulf War in that region and after the, the second Gulf War, the United Nations themselves were making plans for a cultural center that would be based in Babylon. So it's, it's, it's kind of fascinating, really. So, again, I personally think that it's not out of the question that Babylon could be rebuilt in the future. Because Babylon was not destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah was. That is a historical fact. So, and like I said, these are prophecies near and far. The near was the Persians, but there's a distant one as well. So that brings us to the final part of Jeremiah's book here. And this is really amazing. Now, remember, Jeremiah he was, as, as we said before, he was one of the most courageous people, I think, that ever lived. Because you remember, he had to confront the leaders of his nation personally, face-to-face, and deliver them the word of the Lord that judgment was coming. Remember that? We, we looked at that, I think it was last time, where Zedekiah... He pulls him aside, and Zedekiah is this wicked king, and he pulls him aside. He says, okay, Jeremiah, is there a word from the Lord? What does the Lord have to say? And Jeremiah says, yes, there is a word from the Lord. You're going to be uh, taken to Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar is going to destroy this city. So he's, he's very courageous, and we see that same kind of boldness here as we look at the final closing here, where he commissions uh, this man, we don't really know anything else about him, but Saraiah, he's going to be sort of Jeremiah's representative in Babylon. And, and look what it says, so the word which Jeremiah the prophet commanded Saraiah, the son of Neriah, when he went with Zedekiah, king of Judah, to Babylon in the fourth year of his reign, and Saraiah was the quartermaster. So Jeremiah wrote in a book all the evil that would come upon Babylon. So remember, most of this book is talking about the evil that's going to come up on Jerusalem. And you remember what they were saying about Jeremiah. They were saying, he's a a traitor. He's actually working for Babylon. He's in the employment of the king. He's for the king. He's an agent of Nebuchadnezzar. That's what they were saying about him because he was pronouncing a judgment upon uh, Jerusalem. But look what he's doing now. He says these words that are written against Babylon. And he says, when you arrive in Babylon and see it and read all these words, then you shall say, O Lord, you have spoken against this place to cut it off so that none shall remain in it, neither man nor beast, but it shall be desolate forever. Now it shall be when you have finished reading the book that you shall tie a stone to it and throw it into the Euphrates, then you shall say, thus Babylon shall sink and not rise from the catastrophe that I will bring upon her, and they shall be weary. Thus far are the words of Jeremiah.
0: For the month of October, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian. With all the chaos, unrest, and uncertainty in our world, behind it all is the unseen realm where a spiritual battle is being waged. And this spiritual battle not only affects the world collectively, but even our lives individually. This month's book, The Powers of Darkness and the People of God by Pastor Brian, will give you an understanding of the battle that is raging behind the scenes you will understand the enemy who is waging war against you, his tactics, and how you can be equipped to emerge victorious. As people of God, we must be aware of the spiritual battle we're all involved in, the sophisticated ways in which we're constantly being attacked, and the provision for victory we have in Jesus. If you want to be equipped for the spiritual battle we're engaged in, or to be able to help others become equipped, we encourage you to call us right now at one 800 733-6443 Or visit us online At backtobasicsradio.com To order The Powers of Darkness And the People of God by Pastor Brian And when you give a gift to Back to Basics We'll send you this book as our way to say Thank you. We do appreciate your Generous support of this ministry We'd also like to remind you